Last week I spoke on Hebrews 4. Um, we got up to that in our Hebrews series. And um, the theme was out of that was that we had to work, or the main kind of punchline of the sermon was that we had to work really hard to stop working for our salvation. So Hebrews says that we have to make every effort to enter into God's Sabbath rest, uh, which, as I have said, is another way of saying work really hard, devote your whole life, submit everything, give everything over to having Jesus as your saviour. Stop trying to work for your own salvation. Remind yourself of the gospel every day so that you um, remember who Jesus is, that it's not your work, that it's not your career, that it's not your relationships, that it's not your status, that it's not your finances, that your saviour is Jesus. Uh, Smash your idols every day by admitting to your friends, your Christian friends, and also to God, what your idols are. So the way you smash an idol, because we don't literally bow down to idols, most of us, hopefully, is that you, you literally declare the idol and you say, I repent of this idol. Say it might be that you're a workaholic. I repent of this idol and I want you, God, to, um, to, I want to surrender to you and I want to turn away from this idol. And you might have to do something like, I don't know if it's, if it's finance, if it's money that you're, you're worshipping, that you might give the money away, for example. Also, confess your sins every day, um, which is an important work that you can do to help you towards obedience. Because the passage from last week said, um, the, the problem is disobedience. That's why people don't finish the race or, of, of the Christian life. That's why people don't end up in God's rest of salvation, because they don't really trust God. They might hear the gospel. They might even come to church, might even call themselves a Christian, but don't actually respond. The Holy Spirit doesn't take um, root in the heart and transform the heart. And of course, there is a fourth way that you can enter the God Sabbath rest, which I didn't say last week, but I should have, and it's the most obvious way. Um, one way you can work towards your stopping working for your salvation, and that is to actually take a Sabbath. Um, it's kind of obvious from the passage, but I didn't even think of it because I'm you know, limited in my... My, uh, my brain. Um, but anyway, it's good that I've got this week to tell you. So, because by actually resting, I'm not saying taking a Sabbath every week like a Sunday necessarily. It might be just choosing a day where you stop working and you focus on God. By doing that, it's a way of, of, of being obedient and declaring to Jesus that he's your saviour, living your life focused on him and not focused on other things. Now, I had so many good conversations this week about what it means to enter into God's Sabbath rest that I started halfway through the week thinking, I feel like there's more to say about this. Perhaps God wants me to keep talking about this for our congregation. And I I love just being able to go, we're not going to preach on whatever we were going to preach on. Let's just keep on the track of this just one one more week. And um, when we had our staff meeting on Tuesday, which is uh, with me and and Beck and um, the interns and sometimes Andrew Watson when he's in Melbourne joins us too. We, we've been reading through Luke and we got up to Luke 6 which is the passage we just had read out to us which was about Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath and so many good ideas came up there and in our community group and in conversations I had I thought let's just keep talking about this um, what it means to be entering into God's Sabbath rest and an idea has emerged this week which is I really want to share with us um, about what that means for us. So let's talk about the passage for a, for a start. So you might want to look at your booklet um, at Luke 6, 1 to 11. There are two stories here that go together on purpose and um, they, 
tell us a bit about Jesus and what he thinks about the Sabbath. And from a strict Jewish Pharisaical point of view, that, you know, that was that, that were the Jews that were involved in this storyline. Um, what we're meant to realize is what we're seeing here is a taboo. Jesus breaking, you know, doing something which is very taboo, breaking laws that are very strict and very important to, to those people. It was shocking what he was doing here. In the first story, uh, we see him work, walking through the grain fields with his disciples, and the disciples plucked and ate the kernels of the grain. And, um, and the laws that they broke were, were really quite a few by doing that. You wouldn't think that it's that important. But this is what they broke. They broke that you should not reap the grain on, on, on the Sabbath. So by plucking it, they're effectively reaping it. Um, you should, that they should not thresh the grain, which is where you separate the grain from, from the crop, which is by roll, rolling in their fingers. And it says that in the passage, that's what they're doing. They should not throw away the grain. So when they're finished with it, throwing away, that's... Um, you know, throwing away the husks or winnowing. Shouldn't that's another law they're breaking. And even eating the grain shows that they've prepared a meal. So they're breaking four laws here, not just one law. So they really, 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 really had broken the law. Um, and then in the second story, it's sort of ramped up a bit more because Jesus says a few more things that are quite significant. But we see him in the synagogue of all places healing a man with a shriveled hand. Now you're allowed to um, you're allowed to help people according to the Jewish law who are whose life is in danger on the Sabbath. But this man he had a shriveled hand. Presumably tomorrow he'd have a shriveled hand as well. So Jesus could have healed that person the next day, but decided to heal him on the Sabbath. And we can see how controversial this all is by the way the Pharisees are reacting. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They say in verse two. Um, now this is outrageous. Um, and in the second story of healing, we see that by then the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus out. They know he's the kind of teacher um, who's going to break the law. And their reaction was that they were furious, it says, with him. And they began to plot against him. Now, when you re- read the Bible, you can, I find something that's really helpful for me is to imagine you've got like a Bible camera, like a you know, for, for photograph camera. And you're putting on different lenses sometimes. So let's first of all put on a zoom lens and look at this passage closely. You know, like we're zooming right in. This is the zoom lens interpretation of the passage. Um, First of all, we see Jesus uh, changing the way we understand Sabbath. So first of all, there's the justification for eating the grain. In verses 3 to 4, he says, Well, King David ate the consecrated bread, you know, and um, that was supposed to be for the priests. Um, but the need for him to, overrode, to, to eat overrode the kind of legal niceties of the Sabbath laws. Um, human need shouldn't be, like this kind of need, shouldn't be subject to kind of this legalism. And in verse 5, he also makes this bigger argument. He says um, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And that's a big claim here. He says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, presumably saying it was God who instituted the Sabbath law in the Ten Commandments. Is he pointing to himself saying that he's Lord of that law um, that was instituted by God? Big claim. He must have a very high office. He's pointing to himself as the Messiah. He's saying King David did this. The Son of David then can do this even more. 
If David can override the law without blame, how much more can I do it, says Jesus. He justifies the healing uh, of the man with the shriveled hand in verse 9. He says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? It's very binary, isn't it? Good or evil, save life or destroy it. Jesus came to save and he's not going to be involved in destroying people's lives. And it says in verse 10, he looked around at them for a response and they got nothing. Nobody responded. So with this zoom lens on, looking at this passage, what we're seeing is uh, that Jesus is taking the repressive regulations of the Sabbath law. He's relaxing it. He's being a bit more liberal with the law uh, because he's saying, you know, you're missing the point to the Pharisees of this holy day. The point of this day is not to be oppressed, but it's to have freedom. So that's the zoom lens interpretation. Jesus is relaxing our understanding of the Sabbath. But there's a whole lot more to this passage than that. So let's take off the zoom lens and put on the wide angle lens where you get, you know, you know wide angle lens, you see the whole bigger picture as well. And that's where I want our focus to be for today. If we put on the wide-angle lens, what we see is two groups of people. On the one hand, you see the Pharisees in one corner with their repressive laws, burdened, you know, religious people trying to please God but judging other people, a jealous group not concerned about human need, not concerned about the sick person, plotting against Jesus. Um, and... For these Pharisees over in this corner, despite their religious zeal, they're a long way from God. In the other corner, we see Jesus and the disciples who, were, who don't seem burdened by the law. They're not sort of walking around stressing about it. They have a freedom of spirit. They can eat if they need to on the Sabbath. Their focus is on the love of people. For the disciples, their focus is on being around Jesus and hanging out and talking. I bet you they had a smile on their face as they walked along and a bit of a bounce in their step as they walked through the grain fields. Despite their relaxed approach to religion and to law, in, in fact, they're actually a lot closer to God. Why are the Jesus people so free? Because they're with the Lord of the Sabbath, that's why. Because they've already entered into his Sabbath rest by being around him. Because they've become Sabbath people. And what I've been convicted about this week for us is that I want us to become Sabbath people. Mary Creek. I, you know, let's move beyond just thinking about having a day off in the week. Let's move beyond that to embracing a lifestyle of being in God's Sabbath rest. To have that same freedom of spirit that the disciples and Jesus had in this story from Luke 6. To have the right priorities they had. To prioritise people and God over religion. To prioritise people and God over other things like the stresses of the idols of the world, over, over social pressures. So how do we be a Sabbath people? First of all, there's a, a sense in which we do need to stop working. 
And I just want to think about the idol of work because it is a big issue for us um, in this culture here in Mary Creek. We're supposed to be free, but so often we're burdened. There's this book called um, Sabbath, Restoring the Sacred Rhythm of Rest by Wayne Muller, and he explained it this way. I've visited the large offices of wealthy donors, the crowded rooms of social service agencies, and the small houses of the poorest families. And remarkably, within this mosaic, there is a universal refrain. I am so busy, they say. It does not seem to matter if the people I speak with are doctors or daycare workers, shopkeepers or social workers, parents or teachers, nurses or lawyers, students or therapists, community activists or cooks. The more their lives speed up, the more they feel hurt, frightened and isolated. Despite their good hearts and equally good intentions, their work in the world rarely feels light, pleasant or healing. Instead, as it all piles endlessly upon itself, the whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. It becomes the standard greeting everywhere. I'm so busy. Now, the big problem with being busy all the time is that it stops us from being able to love the things that we really love. It stops us from caring about the things that we really care about. So the classic mistake is that while we might care for our family, our work stops us from caring for our family. While we care for our friends, we stop being able to care for our friends. While we care for our church community, our, our work, if it becomes an idol and we've got this refrain of I'm so busy all the time, means that we stop being able to care for our church community, care for God. All we care about is work. I found out, and I don't speak Mandarin, so who, anyone who speaks Mandarin in the room? No, that's good, so you can't check if I'm wrong here. <laughs> Apparently the Chinese, um, the Mandarin character for um, busyness is two words joined together, two pictures, words joined together, which is um, heart and killing. Joined together and you get busy. Heart and killing. Ah, I think they're onto it, aren't they? Psalm 46, verse 10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. Remember the story of Mary and Martha. Good illustration. It was Mary who's still sitting on the floor at the feet of Jesus, who did the right thing, even though Martha was busy slaving away in the kitchen. Only those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. Only those who are quiet and watchful find God's mercy that is new every, in every morning. Now, last week, I, yeah, as I said earlier, I had this phrase, we've got to work to stop working. We've got to work to stop working for our salvation. And it requires discipline. If you're a worker in a stressful job, you could easily go for a whole year and not take your leave. 
So what you've got to do, if you're that kind of person, is you've got to do a little bit of work to do the, stop the rest of the work. So you've got to sit down with your diary and go, from this date to this date, I'm going to be on holidays, and then you email your boss, and that's it. You've done the work, later on you take the holiday. Joe and I always find that, um, Joe's parents have a holiday house in Torquay. We always find that we miss out on all the good pub long weekends and the holidays because the other sisters have got in there early and booked it in front of us because we're so last minute with our holiday organisation. We're disorganised with our holidays. Similarly, if you are a parent, um, you know, if you want to come, if you want to be around your family, your children, you've got to be disciplined about getting home in time, don't you, from work. You could just go, I'll be in the office till 8 o'clock, I'll be in the office till 10 o'clock. But if you want to have a relationship with your family, you've got to do a bit of work to stop working. You've got to say, I'm going to walk out of this door at 6pm or 5.30 or whatever it is for your workplace. Give your family and friends your best time and not your dregs. And this also applies to our faith. So I often find I've, you know, I've organised lots of community activities and for church. This church in St Hilary's, where I used to be a minister, camps, you know, social events. Most common thing I hear is, sorry, I won't be able to make it. I'm too busy. Um, sorry, I won't be able to make it. Um, I'm too busy with work. I can't come to, you just got, we just got heaps on at the moment. Um, if you want to uh, be a Sabbath person, you need to be able to prioritise your community, your church community, and that involves stopping work, doesn't it? Same thing if you've got a Christian friend who wants to meet up and pray with you. How terrible would it be if you, if you can't make time for them? You, you might be the kind of person who signs yourself up to a community group and never goes because you're too busy all the time. You have more control than you realise. I'm pretty sure no one in this room is a slave. I'm pretty sure. We don't ha have too many slaves. We do have slavery in Australia, apparently. It's a terrible thing, but I'm pretty sure no one here is a slave. Being a Sabbath people means stopping work and being disciplined about this. And I'm not just talking about once a week, I'm talking about a lifestyle of priority changing your priorities. Jesus said Sabbath was made for mankind, not mankind made for the Sabbath. And I'm sure he'd also agree that, he, that, that, that um, work was made for mankind, not mankind made for work. Like, it's not like we're subservient to our work. It feels like that. But actually, it's not true. Now, it is true that from what we read in Genesis um, 3, that because of the fall of humankind, the work that we have is... Um, it's like there's a toil and a burden in our work that we do stuff and it doesn't always pay off. And, you know, the farmers will grow crops and then they'll have a bad year and the crops won't grow properly or, you know, um, that you might find that your company goes bust and you get retrenched. And in this life there is toil, but also we're part of a, a new um, regime, a new covenant people. We are Sabbath people, so there is a shift that has happened for us. There's a new freedom that we've got. Uh, we can be sort of looser with our work. We don't have to let it dominate us. And I know for um, people who run their own business, that's really, really hard because, but it, because you get caught into this cycle when you're, a, when you're in your own business where you've got debts and you've got to pay the debts, you've got to pay people and, you, and it just sort of sucks you in. 
But even for, for you, you can still um, take control and be a Sabbath person so that you can live the life that you're meant to live with this freedom of spirit. So you've got to stop working. The other, other idea is you've got to embrace stuff as well. And it's sort of the flip side of what I've just said. We need to embrace the lifestyle. Now, some, a mistake we can make if, if we say, oh, I want to be a Sabbath person like what Peter's talking about, is that you think that it means about leisure all the time, that it means that you just relaxo, you know. Uh, and I'm not talking about that because one of the largest obstacles to being a Sabbath person is actually leisure, strangely enough. Um, there's a cultural historian, his uh, Polish name I think it is, Witold, Witold Rybskinski calls um, waiting for the weekend. He talks about this idea of waiting for the weekend where we see work as only an extended interlude between our real lives. Um, leisure is Sabbath when we no longer know how to um, sanctify time. So in other words, if, if all we're doing is just having fun all the time, what we're not doing is prioritising God in that time. God is taken out of the picture if all our life is about is leisure. Leisure is Sabbath without the sacred, if that makes sense. It's literally just a holiday. And leisure has become an idol for Australians. It can enslave us. It can exhaust us, demanding from us more than it gives. Embracing the Sabbath doesn't just mean sitting around in bars every evening or going to the holiday house every weekend, drinking cocktails after work and going away to the ho- you know, um, with your friends and partying all the time. Not that that's wrong in itself, not that leisure's wrong, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about being a Sabbath people. Being a Sabbath people is about having gospel-shaped time priorities. Jesus-shaped time priorities. Luke 6 shows us that Sabbath people are free to be with Jesus, free to be with each other, and free to be available for other people. So we need to learn how to rearrange our diary so that we can live this out. And this requires discipline. It's a, it's a strange paradox. You be disciplined so you can be restful. Part of the working to stop working. Yesterday I gave a workshop at um, the Victorian Christian Youth Conference, which a um, few of our people are on at the moment. Uh, Beck gave a workshop there as well. And I spoke to this boy who goes to St Jude's actually down the road. And now he lives in Ocean Grove. He used to live around here and the family had to move to Ocean Grove. But all of his, got a whole bunch of friends down at St Jude's and he's also got a whole bunch of friends up at St Alfred's in Blackburn. So his mother every Friday drives him to Carlton from Ocean Grove um, so that he can be with his Christian friends. And she also drives him to Blackburn on Sunday from Ocean Grove. She's made this priority. Now this sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? But this is kind of strangely enough what it means to be a Sabbath person, at least a Sabbath person parent, because you're, you're actually prioritising your time so that God is at the centre. Um, Laura Parks was saying at our community group on Tuesday that every Sunday her parents would always drive her and her brother to church and this is as our teenagers and they said this is our priority because we want you to be um, able to practice your faith and be Christians and be part of a Christian community 
So the, the parents are being disciplined here to allow the whole family to be Sabbath people, if that makes sense. Um, this is a new kind of thinking. It's, it's shifting our priorities. It's saying, I'm going to put my church community, my, 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 my obedience to Jesus centre, and everything else goes out, goes down the list. Uh, Mark Buchanan in the book, The Rest of God, he said, God is more interested in changing your thinking than in changing your circumstances. He wants you to have the same attitude as and the very mind of Jesus Christ. As Sabbath people, we should spend as much time as we can focusing on God and his gospel. We should meditate on it and apply it to our lives. So let me conclude. I want us to be a Sabbath people at Mary Creek. It's a lifestyle thing. It's not just a once a week thing. It's attitudes. It's about how we think about God. It's how we think about leisure. It's how we think about work. We need to change our minds about all of these things. We need to trust in God's rule over our lives because if we don't, we won't stop working. We need to see time as a gift from God rather than a ration or a burden so that we can use it for his glory.